being together. What I, just, I keep loving about this service and I keep loving about being a part of this church is, is we didn't do a children's moment last week and, and we did on this, we get to try new things and we're figuring things out as we go. And, and I mentioned last week, we have a new worship planning team that meets on Tuesdays at 9.30 and there's a group of us that gather together. And if you have suggestions, if you're like, oh man, I love having those three songs together or having the children's moment was great or man, it's kind of chaos trying to get the children you know, to, to get out of here. I, like, I, I'm cool with it, it's just whatever. But if that's your feeling, please let us know. You know, I'm happy, we are happy to receive because we want to make sure that we're honoring God as a community and doing what's best for, for all of us gathered here together. And so as we go to Matthew this morning, I just wanted to say one more time how grateful I am for this church. I think I say it every week and it's probably going to start to sound like cliche, but it's just amazing. I mean, I felt so much love and welcome here. Brianna and I have. And if you are a first time guest with us, if you've never been here before, this is an amazing church. And I can say that because I, I just, I'm, I'm biased because, you know, I'm the pastor here. So I'm supposed to say that, but I believe it too. (laughs) Because after these first, we've been here for two months now and we just feel completely surrounded by love and support and care. And so if you're looking for a church home, this is is a great one. There are people who want to love you, who want to um, be and do life with you. We got our, I've been in so many small groups lately that are just incredible. Mark Fillers took me fishing the other day. It was awesome. I mean, this church is just full of people that wanna be together and it's, it's great to be a part of. And so I just wanted to say that before we jump into our sermon this morning. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Another translation says sold into slavery to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, or 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their masters everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? In his anger, he handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. We're wrapping up our series this week called Upside Down. We've been spending four weeks in the parables, four different parables, one different one each week, and looking at what the, the crazy things that Jesus does. You see, Jesus did not come just to, to be like everybody else. He saw that the, the world was operating inefficiently and sometimes inappropriately, and he came to reappropriate things. He came to turn things upside down. And these parables, they do that for us. They make us see the world in a very different way. Whereas we think it's this, Jesus says, it's this. And so we're gonna wrap up this morning, this series, with the idea of forgiveness. This one, we're gonna spend our entire morning with the nature of forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. All God's people said, amen. I remember one time when I was a lot younger, I was about 11, 12 years old, my dad and I got into a big fight, 
I love my father. He, is, he was my best man at my wedding. I'm as close to my dad, uh, my wife, number one, and then my sister, my dad, my family. We're, we're very close, and I, and I love my dad. And I remember, maybe you've had experiences like this with your children or you as a child with your parent. I remember one time we got in a fight, and he thought he was right, which he wasn't, and I thought I was right, which I was. And, and I hate to admit it, you know, as we get older, we become more like our parents. And I think that's kind of a universal truth in this room we can all affirm. And, and maybe you, like me, lament that fact because you're like, you find something comes out of your mouth and you're like, that's something my dad used to say, or that's just like my mom used to be. And you're like, oh no, I'm just like my parents. Well, I, as I get older and more, I feel like I'm like that. But I've never thought me and my dad were more divided than this time whenever I was about 12 years old. And he had the gall to come into my room and tell me that I needed to be doing my homework and that I need to clean up my room. And I was like, uh, no, I'm watching Boy Meets World and I'm eating bagel bites. I don't need your advice. He was, he, was pretty, he was pretty emphatic about what he thought I should be doing. And he goes on to say, if you don't do that, you will be punished. Like, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, there will be consequences for it. And, um, and I was like, well, don't say this. Children, don't say this to your parents. I said, well, make me. <laughs> parents, can you imagine if your child said that to you when you told them to clean their room? I was, I was, I was probably not the easiest child to bear with, but I'm so glad that my father had grace. But the way he explained this grace in this moment was he came and took the cord out of my TV in my room, which I thought I was entitled. It's like, no, that's my TV. He came and said, you can have it back when you clean your room and whenever you do your homework. And I was like, no, you can't do that. That's my cord in my TV. I gotta know what happens to Corey and Topanga. Like, I'm like invested in Boy Meets World. And he even threw away my bagel bites. And I was just like, whoa, like, they're in the trash. I was still considered eating them, but there's other trash in there too. So I didn't, but I could not be more mad at my dad. And he left and he went out, left my room and I was like fuming and he went and did yard work and just like, he didn't probably think twice about it. And I'm like, you know what? I've had it. I'm, I'm done with him. So you know what I did? I left. I decided I'm gonna go out on the lamb. I'm gonna run away. I'm gonna be like, like the guy with the stick and the bandana full of stuff. But I was like, I don't have a stick or a bandana so I didn't take anything with me. I just decided I'm just gonna run away with nothing. I didn't take any toys, a blanket, or any bagel bites and went straight out the door. I started running down the, um, the running is gener generous. I started moving at a quick pace-ish down, down the hill outside our house, down Summer Rain Terrace. And about half a mile, I realized this was a mistake. I shouldn't actually run away. You should like move away and not like actually run because I was literally running. And my dad, all of a sudden, I heard a car come. I turned around and it's his, his car. And he's coming to like pick me up, I'm assuming. And so I pick up my pace a little bit to show like, I've got this, I'm not tired. And he looks at me, he goes, um, he says, so, so where are you going? And I had this like crazy movie cliche line, wherever my legs will take me. <laughs> I remember I said that exactly. I mean, I was as cheesy as it got. And he said, oh, well, why are you running away? He said, because you don't love me and I hate you. Oof. I'm not yet a parent, but I can assume that those words from a child, even if you know that they might not be true, probably hurt more than anything on this earth. If a kid were to say to you, you don't love me and I hate you, I 
I saw my dad's face. I don't, I don't think I recognize it at the time, but thinking back on the story, thinking back on this experience, I remember his face changed just a little bit, but he, he was tough. He didn't let up his, you know, how to, he just said this. He said, I'm sorry you feel that way. I love you. You're welcome home anytime. And he went, he just left. He went home knowing that I'm in our neighborhood. I'm not going that far. <laughs> I went about another 10 minutes. I made it to the pond at the edge of our neighborhood the Woodlands Pond, and I was sitting there feeling like, this is where I'm gonna camp out. I'm far enough from home, I'm like three quarters of a mile from the house. And I'm gonna camp out here, I'm gonna live here. And after about two hours, I was like, actually, this is pretty terrible. And I'm tired, and I would love something to eat. And so I trek back up the Summerane Terrace Hill, which to me felt like Mount Everest. And I go, and I turn onto Overlook Drive, and I see my house, and the garage door's open, but my dad's nowhere to be seen. He's not outside working. I was like, good, I can slip in. He won't even know it. And I open the door, and I was greeted by the most gracious smell you can imagine. Bagel bites were coming out of the microwave. <laughs> and for me as a 12-year-old, that was a big deal. And I remember my dad being there. He said, I made these for you. I knew you'd be hungry. I love you. As we look at our text from Matthew this morning, it's another chance for us to look at how Jesus is doing something crazy again, how he is turning things upside down. He begins telling this story um, as a response to a question Peter asked, just two verses before what we read. Peter asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and my sister? Seven times? And then Jesus says, seven times 77. He says, lots of times. And then he just randomly goes into this story. He says, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Isn't it funny how Jesus just like answers questions with stories, like doesn't give direct answers. He just starts on this story. It's really random. It's, it's a lot like talking to Robin Sims. And I, <laughs> that's, our, other, that's one of the, our new senior pastor, if you haven't met him yet. He's amazing. And anytime I go into his office with one simple question, I've learned that I need to like block off a significant portion of the time. Because I'll say, hey, Robin, so I got a question about this. And he goes, that reminds me of this time tra-la-la, keeps going. And about like an hour and a half later, I'm just like engrossed in everything he says. I'm just like hanging on his words because he's so wise, he's so humble, and, and I'm, he's not here today, so I can say this. And so if he, if he asked, was what, you know, telling lies about me, this is genuinely how I feel about this man. He just tells these stories that just make you feel like, man, this guy knows Jesus. This is what must sit on Jesus' feet must have been like. And so I imagine the disciples, every time Jesus tells a story, they might be frustrated at first, like, no, just get to the point. And then as the story goes, it does something to them. That's what the parables do. They do something to us when we sit with them, when we hear them. They're not just stories that have these simple points or these stories that are just like throwaway things that are in the Bible to make it better. They're these experiences. Parables do something to us. So Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servant. And then one of the servants came to him, to the master, and he said that he was owed 10,000 talents. It said 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents. One one talent is a a lot of money. This number that Jesus is throwing out there, remember, it's a parable, and so he's he's telling this as a hypothetical story. And if you remember last week, we talked about a denarius is one day's wage. One talent is 15 years day wages. It's basically, so when he says he owes him 10,000 talents, he owes him 150,000 days worth of work. Or in today's terms, it'd be about $54,750,000, which is not even a real number in ancient Israel. Like this number is astronomical. 
10,000 talents might be like, oh, it's like $10,000. No, it's a number that this man, this servant could never, ever pay back. It is a huge figure. To put it in some more perspective, King Herod was ruling when Jesus was born, and he was a king over all the land, and whenever he did taxes, he got his yearly taxes, he only got 900 talents from the entire country. And it says this servant owed 10,000 talents. There's no way he's paying back this debt. And so the king ordered him, to, king ordered for him and his wife and his children to be sold into slavery to try to recoup some of the losses And the servant begged his master and he said, please change your mind, please, please have pity on me. He says, be patient with me, I will repay it if you give me more time. And the master is basically like, I'll do you one better. He said, he had pity on him and he canceled the whole debt, which is pretty mind blowing if you think about it. I've got friends from college who still remind me that I owe them $5 and that was like eight years ago. This guy is a master of all this land He has all this wealth, and he's owed $54 million, basically, a crazy amount of money. And he says, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's all good. Just forget about it. So that part of the story ends, and then Jesus goes on with a parable, and he says that the servant then goes and finds another servant who owes him 100 denarius. And 100 denarius is basically $100. And it says the other servant begged to be given more time. He said, be patient with me. I will pay it back. The exact same thing the first servant said to the master. But the first servant refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And his friends and the people, fellow servants, they saw this and they were troubled. And so they went and told the master what had happened. And the master called him back and said, I just forgave you this great debt. And he basically owed you $100 compared to $54 million, And you have him thrown into jail. You are a wicked servant. You are a wicked person. He said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? In his anger, he handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay it back. And then Jesus ended and said, the same will be true for you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters. The end. Mic drop. Jesus did that whole go and do likewise thing like he did with the Good Samaritans or the story of the Good Samaritan. He basically said, just go and do that and you'll be good. Just forgive everybody. The end. But there's even more going on in this text than what we see at first glance. That's how the Bible kind of operates. I was talking to different people this very week, and two different people said, you know, I feel like I need to have a textbook with me when I read the Bible because I feel like I miss so much. And I was like, yeah, you kind of do. Now, granted, it is the living word of God. And so God can speak to us. If we just open the Bible, there's inspiration in there, there's life transformation in there, there are things in which God can speak to us, no matter what our knowledge of anything about the context or else might be. God works through the scripture. But sometimes we realize even more and even deeper and how much more special the text is when we understand what's going on in the context of when it was written, especially in Matthew. We miss a lot about the book of Matthew just because we're not Jewish, because Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience, and so he assumes everybody hearing this knows what the subtleties are about Judaism, so they don't explain things that we don't understand. So for example, as I, when I write my sermon, I keep books with me as I, to make sure I don't miss things. And if you ever want them, there's a few in our library over there in the Dill Library, and there's a few in my office, and I'd be happy for you to borrow them. Just gotta give them back. But when we look at this text even deeper, one of the things that we don't realize because we're not Jewish is that when Peter asked Jesus, 
How many times do I forgive my brothers and sisters? Peter is referring to his brothers and sisters who are also Israelites because they assume we're talking about people within our own tribe. We're talking about our people. So how many times, when should I forgive my people, people I already love, I'm in community with, I might not agree with all the time, but like we know each other. And what is so upside down and radical is that Jesus then tells a story about a Gentile king forgiving a servant. You can't get more separated of like not brother and sister than like a master and his servant. And the reason we know it's a Gentile king is because Jews, part of the Jewish law says that you cannot sell a wife or a child into slavery for the debts of a husband. But that's in the text we're supposed to do that. So we know like that wouldn't be a Jewish person making those commands. Also, Jewish people would not bow down and worship somebody who's not Yahweh, as it says in the beginning. He bowed down and pleaded with him. And lastly, it says he sent him to be tortured until he could pay his debts. Jewish law says you can't do that. And so we know that the, the people hearing this would have known that we were dealing with a Gentile king and not somebody who's already part of our tribe. And so as we think about this story and how crazy it is, how upside down it is that Jesus would tell a story about who we should give to our brothers and sisters and refer to a Gentile king, we're, we're, we're presented with something I think you're probably already making the connection to. Do you get why this is upside down? A king who has all authority to do whatever he wants meets with a servant who basically has no business even looking him in the eye, let alone making any request of this king. But even still, this man begs with him to get more time so he could pay back a debt that he is just drowning in. And this king, who should be the person who holds everybody accountable to the same standards and says, you know what, you have to pay it back because you took it out, like this is your fault, you have to you know, then make recompense for your mistakes. He forgives an absurd amount of money because he knows that there's no way he can pay it back. He said, I absolve you of your debt. You are forgiven. It makes no sense what the master does. Like if we think about this in our current economic terms, if, you are, uh, if any of you who work for banks were to lend money and be like, no, oh, we're good, we don't need it back, your bank would probably close. Probably wouldn't work out. It doesn't make any sense why the landowner would do this. I think about that time when I ran away from my dad and I told him that I hated him and I didn't love him. And it, and it still breaks my heart that I did that, that I said that. I can't imagine what it felt like. But then I think that that's no different from how we treat God every day. It's no different from, from how we treat our faith, our spiritual journeys. How often do we do things that we know are wrong? We are all sinners we constantly fall short of the glory of God. But you know, God offers us forgiveness. Despite who we are, despite what we've done, despite anything we could even dream of, God still forgives us. And that's really hard for us to believe, isn't it? Because we think of bad decisions deserve consequence and action. And I do believe there's some sort of accountability and some sort of recompense judgment. We have to stand before God. But one thing that is truly mind-blowing, that you might be sitting here saying, Woods, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins that I've committed. You don't know the thoughts that have been in my head. You don't know the anger that is in my heart. There's no way that I get that full forgiveness. But the good news is that you do. You are loved, you are forgiven. 
There is nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. We are all sinners who have this mountain of debt that there's no way we could pay back. But God cancels that debt. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's something we've probably said all of our lives, thought of, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've known this is true. But if you've never heard this before, this is true. This is the gospel. You are forgiven. You are loved. But the harder part is the next part. The harder part is that the story goes on and Jesus says that the servant who was forgiven did not forgive his fellow servant. And I, and I want to say this about forgiveness. I think sometimes we treat forgiveness too flippantly. I think, I've heard it preached. I've heard sermons where a preacher says, if you leave this place not having forgiven everybody who you've, who's transgressed against you, then you're leaving here as a sinner. And, and I think that's dangerous. I think that's a bucket full of hot garbage. Because forgiveness is something deep and personal And it requires pieces of ourselves that we don't even know we're capable of. And so if you are here and you're struggling with this idea of I cannot forgive this person because they've done something to me, know that you are not a bad person because you can't do that yet. Forgiveness should not be this thing that you can just automatically turn a switch because we're humans and we're not God and we can't forgive like God yet. We're working towards it. We're trying to get there. But if you're sitting here with something on your heart about something that somebody has done to you or somebody you love, this is not an easy word from the Lord. It's not something that we can just flip a switch and make happen. Jesus never said being a Christian is easy. He never said this faith journey is gonna be perfect. You're gonna be able to do it, no problems. To me, this is the hard one of the, if not the hardest part about being a Christian is this idea of forgiveness. And so I ask you this morning, as we prepare to receive communion, as you come and and we accept this sacrament that God has for us, where are you? Are you struggling to believe that you are forgiven? Because you are. And that might be hard to believe But the grace is for all people and God's love is for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've fought. And it's hard for us to believe that when we know that we don't do what we're supposed to do. And it's not a one-stop shop. It's not a one-time thing. I need God's forgiveness every day. Because even though I'm a pastor and I've been a Christian my whole life, I'm still a sinner in need of God's grace. So maybe you hear this morning saying, you know, I accepted my forgiveness a long time ago, but I need to say thanks again. I need to believe it again. I need to know it again. I hope this morning as you come to the table, as you receive communion, you will once again say, thank you, God, for this forgiveness. Let the Holy Spirit that is on these elements breathe life into you so that you know you are forgiven. And if you're struggling to forgive someone else, know that I do not think God thinks less of you if you are struggling with that. I think the opposite, actually. I think God wants to journey with you through that. 
God wants to be with you now and always. And it might take days, weeks, months, years, a lifetime. But that's the gospel. And that's the hard part about it, is that even the things we don't wanna do are still there. There's still commands from God. And so how do we get through those? How do we get to those? It is only by the sanctifying grace of God. We cannot do this on our own. It is only by God's grace in our lives that moves us from who we were to who we are to who we're going to be. Come, ye sinners, to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not one be left behind, for God hath bidden all mankind. Come, all souls, by sin oppressed. Ye restless wanders after rest. You poor and maimed. You soft and blind. In Christ, a hearty welcome find. These words by Charles Wesley are still true for us today. Come, ye sinners, to the gospel feast. The Holy Spirit is in this place, and I believe that with all my heart. And that God wants to do work in our lives now and always. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you love us, that you have forgiven us, that you are at work in our lives. God, sometimes we don't know if we can do it. We don't know if we can accept and believe that your grace is sufficient for us. And so we ask that you convict us to know that it's true. Other times we don't know if we can forgive somebody else because it's too hard and because the pain is too deep. And we don't even want to think about it. And so God, we ask that your grace be present in our lives to at least begin the conversation, to think about what it might mean for us to offer forgiveness to others as you have forgiven us. Lord, this life is hard. God, pain is real and deep and it feels like a mountain. May your grace fill us in a way that we cannot do for ourselves. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have failed to do your will. We have failed to love your people. So forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience to Jesus Christ, now and always. On the night in which Christ gave himself 